Well, I got a chance to interview the boy from Pleasantdale, Nebraska, Corey Oddbody. Grew up on a farm, had a lot of great values instilled in him back in the day. And now today, he's taking Americom, and he's turned it into a behemoth. Over 25 employees, he serves a big part of Nebraska. And in this episode, you're going to hear a lot of really unique things. For instance, how he reached out to his employees and said, how many of you want to get stronger at leadership? Almost everyone in his company raised their hands, and he's providing them the opportunity to get more education to be better leaders. Also, you're going to learn about ABQ, always be qualifying, goes well beyond sales. He'll explain it in this episode. And then strategic vision, one of his great strengths, how he sees out three to five years into his business to know how to continue to adapt and thrive. This is a fun one. And on top of it all, he's going to tell you about how to make sure as a business owner, a business leader, you get quality time back in your life. He is a master fisherman and he's in a band called The Midnight Special. I'm telling you, we're going to cover a lot of ground today with Corey Oddbody of Americom, brought to you by our producer, Grace Dunbar. Well, this is fun because not only am I talking to a terrific leader who has built an unbelievable business, and we're going to talk all about Americom, but I got across from me a guy who is in a band called Midnight Special, and he can sing and he can play the drums. So we're going to cover a lot here, Corey. You ready for that? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> well, listen, let's start first in Pleasant Dale, Nebraska. This is your Mayberry, and it is just a speck on a map. Tell me a little bit about Pleasant Dale, what it was like growing up there. Yeah, I grew up on a farm uh, in between Pleasant Dale and Crete, Nebraska, about six miles north of Crete. We raised cattle. Um, at that time, we were uh, raising wheat and milo. Uh, we switched to corn and soybeans later. But I listened to your interview with Jason Leibel, and his yeah. story sounds exactly like mine. Uh, driving a tractor at seven years old and working farm equipment, and all your buddies are in town playing video games. But uh, just like Jason said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I learned work ethic. I learned business skills. A farm is an entrepreneurial venture. Uh, so, yeah, growing up uh, out, in the, out in the country had a lot to do with uh, who I am today. You know, I've interviewed so many business owners who grew up on a farm, but you said something intriguing to me. You said it's an entrepreneurial venture. We oftentimes think of farmers just going out, working their tails off, which they do to feed America. Tell me from an entrepreneurial standpoint, though, what you learned. Um, cash flow, money management, uh, value for your dollar, those types of concepts. You got to watch the dollars on the farm. It's it's a uh, it's a tight budget. So uh, money management was a big lesson that I learned. Yeah, uh, in in that environment, the margins are pretty tight on farms, aren't they? Indeed. So tell me about siblings. I have uh, two older sisters and one younger brother. So what was that like as far as sharing the work and all of you putting out the effort on the farm? Was that always uh, equitable? Were there some fighting going on with the siblings? What was that like? Uh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> we all we all shared the load, <clears throat> for sure. We all we all got to do our share of the work. As the oldest son, I got a whole lot of it. So, um, and I wouldn't trade that for the world either. Yeah. Um, so I was, yeah, as the the oldest male, I was out there quite a bit. But uh, I appreciate it, and it was time I got to spend with my father and uh, my grandfather. So. It was very good. You know, you look back on those memories. What's one of the f the most fun things, your favorite thing to do on the farm? I know it was work, 
But pull out something where you're like, look, Tim, when I was doing this, it didn't even feel like work. You know, um, I really enjoyed the cattle, the animals. Um, the cattle were a lot of fun. They were a lot of work. But uh, I really enjoyed being around those animals, and, and uh, that dynamic of the farm was fun for me. Yeah. You know, I got to imagine you learned a lot of leadership lessons early on. You, you spent time with your grandfather, your father. I'm sure your mom played a big role as well. Indeed. But give me a couple of valuable lessons you got from hanging out with dad, hanging out with grandpa, learning the business. What's one thing you learned at an early age from a leadership perspective that stuck with you all these years? Hmm. Um, you know, probably the biggest thing would be just uh, you can't talk about it you have to do it you have to do something you have to take some kind of action and so once a decision was made uh, those guys took action they went and did what they said they were going to do and so the importance of taking action the importance of not just talking about things uh, would, would would probably be what what I gained from that from a high level yeah and you know it's interesting you say that I was a client of yours um, when I had my businesses um, one in Lincoln one in Omaha and that was one thing I mean you you guys said what you were going to do and then you were there and you always answered the phone always always returned a phone call yes. so it looks like that stuck with you all of these years some of the important values you got in an early age yeah for yeah. sure for sure so sports play a role or were you working all the time? No, I, I was fortunate enough to play a lot of sports in high school um, uh, and college a little bit. So that that definitely is something I thought about when we talked before the interview about a place where leadership skills get honed. Uh, definitely that was a place where I started to develop more skills. And, and I've seen it in other people. When we hire someone that played sports, um, they get it uh, from a leadership perspective a lot of times. Um, I got to so. hear more about this. Tell me what you, what you glimmed in. First off, football. I got to imagine it was football. I played basketball. Played hoops? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, and college too as well. Uh, Bellevue University. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I played basketball there. So what did you glean from that? What was the most important, when you say you learned a lot there, what specifically? Mm. Um, you know, the dynamics of, of stepping up and being a leader, uh, no matter your position on the team. Um the 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 differences in the people and the leadership styles the different coaches you have through the years there's a lot because working as a team um somebody's got to be the leader somebody mm -hmm. has to step up some guys did it vocally um and i'm thinking of one guy that just never really said much but he was a leader the way he played and the way he carried himself um was impressive you know those types of things so there's a lot of different ways to lead uh, in that environment and, and i think for me I uh, kind of found myself and found some of my uh, leadership strengths in, in those environments. Yeah. You know, I, I think the misnomer with leadership so often is that it has to be that vocal person. It has to be that person that says a lot. You just talked about someone that you admired who really was kind of that quiet leader. And when you think about that, and, and frankly, Corey, you're a little bit on the quiet side, right? I've never heard your voice get boom, uh, loud and booming. What is it that you have to have? What do you have to exhibit, though, beyond words, to be a strong leader? Confidence. Um, you have to have the confidence that you're doing the right thing. You have to have the confidence in, in your convictions, um, your morals and values. Uh, all those things kind of combine, in my mind, to make uh, that confidence in, in, in the decisions you're making and the, the way, the direction you're leading people. Yeah. Well, you learned some confidence, I got to imagine, when you said you're driving a tractor at age seven. <laughs> <laughs> you got these huge responsibilities on the farm. Did that where it started? Were you a confident kid? Yeah. 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 For the most part, I think so. Uh, we all go through, you know, um, changes in confidence in our life, but I've always felt 
felt pretty confident in myself in most situations. Yeah. yeah. When did you not? When was there a time where you didn't? What do you think it led to that? Um, well, you know, in the beginning, I bought my business when I was 31 years old. And so I didn't know what I didn't know yet. So that was, I was probably more confident than I should have been, uh, uh, to, to be honest, with some of that stuff. But as I've come across business challenges, as you learn through the years, um, sometimes you're, sometimes you take a hit. Um, and so learning how to deal with failure, learning how to deal with challenges is a big part of it, too. You had talked about, you put out to your team as well, look, you, you want to learn a little bit more about leadership? You want me to invest in that? I'm there for you. And you said your team overwhelmingly responded. A, what does that say about your team? And B, what was that, why was that important to you to be able to offer that? Yeah, so what we did was uh, just put out an open call for who wants to be a leader in the company. It doesn't matter your position, your title. I don't care how long you've been here. Uh, I just want to identify who's interested in showing leadership and developing your skills and abilities. And then I said, we'll, we'll see who shows up. And I was really impressed that um, we had a lot of people uh, show up to that meeting. And then some that, um, you know, we're going to have to do it again because the room was full. And so really excited about that. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked about the concepts where we're looking to improve and, and a very receptive audience. Nothing bad is going to come from that. Only great things are going to come from that. And mm -hmm. to me, helping people develop their leadership skills um, not only helps the business, it's going to float the boat higher at Americom, but it's going to help them in their personal lives. It's going to help them with their family. Uh, it's going to help them in the world. So to me, that's uh, those type of skills are the best way to help people. Boy, to your point, I just finished some leadership training this morning at a company, manufacturing company, and one of the leaders stepped up and said, I use this, this skill set with my, my, my wife and kids and the results he had gotten out of that. So impressive. So you're right. It's something that is transferable, isn't it? It can go well outside of business. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, Before we leave Pleasantdale, I always believe that you get a sense of what it was like growing up when you're about 12 years old in the middle of summer, right? That's when I always felt like I got the best lessons in life, right? What was that like? Give me a summer day in Pleasantdale, Pleasantdale Nebraska, mid-July. What was that day like? Uh, probably hauling bales, uh, probably throwing bales on a trailer and unloading them uh, for weeks at a time. You never complained? I mean, was it ever like... Dad, I, there's better things I could be doing. Uh, well, I'm sure I did uh, from time <laughs> to time, but but not that much. Um, it, it's tough when you're a young kid and you want to hang out with your buddies. But um, you know, all the lessons learned, the the mechanical knowledge that that you learn from fixing things on the farm, how to use tools. Yeah. Um, it surprises me how many people don't know how to run a drill these days. Um, it's not that hard. So uh, those skills have really uh, paid off, and, and that's especially in the summers, to your point. That's when I was really working on a tractor, you know, working on whatever it was. So, yeah. Um, yeah. The camaraderie of small town with your buddies. There's nothing like it, right? I got to hear about what it was like. Pick out one or two of your buddies that you grew up with and maybe some of the shenanigans you guys got into. What was it like? I got to hear about a couple of these guys. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I got to be careful here with this one. Um, we can always edit. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of time drive, driving on gravel roads and hanging out and, and having fun. And you can't get into a ton of trouble out there. There's not a whole lot uh, to do. So 
really just hanging out. Um, street dances were a big thing. Yeah. Um, in, in a small town, those were always a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's where we kind of um, cut loose a little bit, as, especially in the summers. Well, speaking of cutting loose, you're in a band, Midnight Special, mm-hmm. which before we went on air, you had the horrific experience of hearing me sing that song. Bobby. So thanks for putting up with me. But, You're hired. You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, I got to hear about what influenced you. How did you get introduced to music? Were you a kid? Was it later in life? A little bit in junior high, you know, in elementary school, that type of stuff. And then I got into sports and kind of stepped away from music for a while. It's interesting because the day of my last game of basketball in my career, uh, one of the players had a party, and he had just bought a guitar. Nobody knew how to how to do anything with it. I spent the whole party um, messing with that, that guitar, and the next day I went out and got one and de- determined to learn how to do it, and um, built that over the over the years. And um, same thing happened with drums. I just got kind of immersed into it, moved in with a bunch of friends that were, were into music, and and we just played and and learned from each other. Coincidentally, those are the friends that are in this band. So I'm in a band with a bunch of my great friends, and, and we have a great time. It started way back when? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. did it start rock and roll band? Because I know it is today, right? Like classic rock today? Yeah. Back yeah. then, it was a little more of the uh, grunge stuff and 90s stuff. Yeah. But today, we're playing 60s, 70s classic rock, and it's really good music, and it's really fun. But I have to hear about this, because I'm telling you, I've tried to pick up a guitar. I've looked at a keyboard. And it scares the you-know-what out of me. <laughs> How did you just pick up a guitar and learn it? Um, just determination. Yeah. I, I wanted to do it. and um, They had a thing called tablature that you could print out your favorite songs. It's, you can still find it. They had this new thing called the Internet at the, at the college <laughs> in a computer lab. I know who invented that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would go and print out my favorite songs and uh, just learn them by tablature. It's kind of like paint by numbers and um, learn some basic skills and then learned a lot from other musicians over the years. You know, I was interviewing Bodie Dostal, who owns Dostal Construction, and he said he was fascinated with art as a kid growing up. And he said that helped him to become so much better in his work because he said, look, when I pour concrete, you know, he has those lines in his head and he he knows how it should look, mostly because of his influences in art. Anything like that for music, has it given you anything in the business world that you feel like has translated from from singing songs into the into the business world? Um, there's a lot of math in music. If you're good at math, um, you, you have a chance of being good at music. Um, but I would say it's more of a, a piece of balance in my life. So mm-hmm. when I go jam with my buddies, that's I'm not thinking about telephones and the security systems we do. I'm, I'm, I've turned that off and I'm, my brain's at a different place. And that's really important to have that, that balance in your life. So that's yeah. the, the purpose it really serves for me. So you started out with rock and roll back in the day, right? And what do you, I mean, if you, if, look, no audience, you're not selling any tickets. What do you go and get on the back deck, get the guitar out? What are you going to play? Mm. Um, you know, if I'm just hanging out by myself, I'm just going to try to create. I love to create original stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and so I try to just create something that appeals to me and that my ear likes. And if you come up with a good lick or a good riff, then maybe it takes another step forward and, gets a drum track put on it or you know a bass track in the home studio and sometimes those little ideas kind of flourish into something that i'm really proud of most of them die on the vine but um every once in a while something will, will come together so you guys do a lot of your own original stuff um not a lot at this point we're basically a cover band i like to write music individually but yeah. i also create original music with these guys um 
just from time to time. I'm not real serious about it. Yeah. So look, you know how hard it is to write music. Who, who, give me a writer. We always want to know about the songs you love and the performers. Give me a writer you love mm. in the music world who's written some great stuff. You and know, it could be a performer on top of it, but someone who's written some great stuff. Um, gosh, I was just listening to him on the way in. Um, and I'm, his name's escaping me. Um, gosh. Chris Stapleton. Oh, yes. Chris Stapleton is a guy that's written a whole lot of songs that we all are aware of that we didn't know he wrote. But then he's come out with some albums of his own that are extremely impressive. And yeah. So that guy's a really talented guy. Boy, and I love his voice. So unique. Mm-hmm. I listen. Guess what I listen to on the way in? A little Bob Marley. Nice. Uh, no Woman, No Cry. The live version. That's the classic. Yes. Y- yeah. Yes, it Good is. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah. We were just talking about him the other day and how, how great his music is as well. Yeah. Lost him way too early. Um, all right. So let's now transition a little bit into you mentioned at age 31. You bounce around in the 20s. Tell me what you were doing. 31 was when you, you took the big plunge. But what would you do in the 20s to get ready to get Americom underway you know, when you, when you turned 31? Uh, so I worked in the, the telecommunications industry uh, for about not quite 10 years. Uh, started at a small uh, cabling business. Went to a local um, ILEC, US West. Um, I was there when they were bought out by Quest. So I got to see a corporate merger uh, don't ever want to go through that again, and then ended up at AT&T for a few years. So really worked in some of the biggest companies in the world and got to see uh, corporate America in, in all its glory. Yeah. Uh, what would what, you like about it? And what I, I think you're referring here, if I, tongue in cheek when you say all of its glory, right? <laughs> yes. What did you not like about corporate America? Um, you know, it's it's a it's a weird machine to me. Um, there's just a lot of minutia that doesn't amount to results in my opinion uh, that you have to steps you have to go through um, just because they're managing so many people uh, so there's a lot of busy work that in my my view I'm like I'm not selling anything to my customer here if I'm if I'm doing this paperwork that was frustrating what I liked about it though was uh, really impressive people everywhere I went everywhere I went there was a lot of smart people in the room I learned a lot from those people they're still my friends today yeah why telecommunications in your 20 though what why did you gravitate towards that even before you had a business i've always liked um technology i've always um, had a knack for it i've always understood it uh some of it just kind of happened um those were where some opportunities were but it was a good fit for me because i've I've always enjoyed technology Mm -hmm. and boy americom definitely i I almost consider you a technology company would that be for correct yeah Yeah. for sure You were going to expand on that? Yeah. Uh, I like to explain the five fingers of Americom uh, when I talk about my company because that makes it easy for me to remember and, and my uh, customers as well. So yeah. we do hosted phone systems. Um, we have a system from Zoltis that's excellent. Uh, we've been deploying it for a long time. A lot of advantages to that. We do um, a Vigilon security systems, cameras, and door access control. Um, that's been very good. We do Bogan uh, paging systems and ClassBell. We're really heavy in the education vertical, so a lot of our solutions are what every school needs. Um, So the the mass notification and and ClassBell systems. Um, And then we do um, 
some newer stuff, um, new technology that we're excited about from a company called Nile. It's the guys that used to run Cisco have created a new way of uh, looking at the network. Yeah. So that's something that we're excited about that we're, we're going through as well. So phones, paging, uh, security, networking, and cabling. We do a lot of cabling, fiber optics. We're cabling uh, North Stadium um, for the for the Huskers right now. That's And that's not a boring project. No project is, but that can't be boring, right? No, that's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big one. But the guys are doing a good job, and, and it's been challenging, but um, a lot of good people to work with, that, that everyone involved. So when is that seminal moment in your 20s when you say, look, I love the opportunity. I learned a lot. I got trained a lot in corporate America, but it's time to put my, my foot forward and do my own business. Was there a moment that you said this is it or was it gradual? Um, it kind of was an opportunity. It was an opportunity that presented itself at the right time. And so it was kind of one of those things where all the pieces fell into place, almost like it was meant to be. Were you looking at that time? Not really, not really. I just started a new job my first day when I came home and had a voicemail message about the opportunity uh, with Americom. So a customer of mine was also a customer of Americom's and he knew that uh, some changes were happening. And so he called me and said, I think you'd be a good fit. And this was a customer that I you know, had a good relationship with and had taken good care of. And that led to the dominoes that uh, started to fall in that direction. What, what do you think he saw in you to, to think that you would be a good fit? What did, what did you show him? It's, it's interesting. Kirby Barr is a great guy. He's from Greeley, Colorado. And when I first met him, I was at AT&T, and he did not like me because I was an AT&T salesman, and he had had a bad experience with the last guy. So um, I just did what I said, you know, and developed solutions for him and then followed through. And once he realized that I was the type of person that was going to follow through on what I said I was going to do, we developed a great relationship over the years. And so we got to know each other pretty well, and we, we did more and more projects together as time went on. And so... It came down to trust is the, is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And there's that follow through again, saying what you're going to do and then doing it. And that's something John Higgins talked about earlier as well. A another owner that I interviewed and um, it seems to be a constant thread. But one of the things that always intrigues me is, is you have to have courage to step out and to leave the comfort of corporate America. I'm sure you were being paid well and you were taken care of, and it's called the golden handcuffs. And then you've got to step out and with, with no, you know, nothing underneath you. How did you get to that point, that mindset to say, I'm going to do this? Were you unhappy? Were you motivated? What was it that, that got you to that point and said, I can do this? You know, I think um, from a very early age, my dream was to own my own business. Um, I knew from the time I was six, seven years old that that's what I wanted to do. I don't know why. Uh, I was just so. going to say, well, at six or seven, what's what's clicking there? Is it being on the farm? Is it someone you knew? I don't know. I really don't know. I remember just everything. Um, I always thought of things in terms of a business. So, um, you know, I would make little make-believe businesses as a child and act like I was selling stuff. Sometimes my sisters would even come buy something, right? Um, but I just <laughs> something I always wanted. So when the stars aligned with this opportunity, um, you know, I thought it through and I, and I looked at all the different uh, risks associated and what have you, but it was kind of a no-brainer that, that I wanted to move forward with it. So in my opinion, the great owners I know all have a bent towards sales. Um, granted, I understand 
you, you've got a service and you've got to be technology and, and understand that. But sales is kind of, if you're not a good salesperson, you either better go find someone who can really do it for you um, or you got to learn to become one. Do you agree with that thought? If, if there's someone working in corporate America and they've got the ability to sell, is that a path for them uh, that has increased success to try being a business owner? Yeah, I would agree with that statement for sure. Um, you have to, someone has to drive it. Someone has to um, take care of the customers, be consultative, understand what they need, those types of things. So selling the right way is important as well. But those skills, uh, especially if you're a smaller company or you're starting something new, it, you got to have something coming mm -hmm. in the door. Um, so I've seen some great salespeople who wouldn't be uh, a great business owner. Because? Um, um, there's there's a lot more to being a business owner than just sales cycle. It certainly is somebody has to light the fuse, right? Somebody has to get things started. Um, but there's a whole lot of other things involved with running the people, right? Um, let alone all the administrivia and, and uh, regulations and those things. But um, leadership, the, the people. Not all great salespeople are great leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, so those two things combined... Um, plus, I would add strategic vision in there. Leadership, sales, and vision, to me, are the kind of the, the trifecta for a, a, a business leader. You know, when we talked before the show, you said if there's an area that I have a lot of confidence in and I've gotten pretty good at is the area of that business, that strategic vision, um, business acumen. Um, when did you know how important that was? And what made you strong in that area? I think that uh, strategic vision, you know, you're looking at your business, your local market, your larger industry, and, and the world we live in, right? And so taking all those pieces of information and coming up with a, a strategy and a direction for your business is, is paramount. Um, here's an example is uh, before Americom uh, happened, I was actually looking at starting a business doing... Um, surveillance cameras. So I was trying to figure out a way to get that off the ground uh, because I looked at the world we live in and I thought, well, bad things are probably going to continue to happen. People need to be protected. Schools need cameras, all those things. So this is back in 2000, right? yeah. uh, 2001. And so um, taking that information, I started to put together a plan. Well, then right in the middle of that uh, is when the Americom opportunity came up so one of the first things I did was add surveillance video to our portfolio and found the right manufacturers. It took some time to find the right partners, but we have some great partners now in Avigilon and, and um, we're putting in cameras all over the place. So if you're not looking ahead as a business owner, if there's any advice that you could give to that business owner, they've got a functioning business, it's doing well, it's bringing in revenue, they're profitable, but they aren't looking uh, down the road three years or five years. Is that a mistake in your opinion? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you always have to be looking ahead. But how does that person isn't necessarily overly creative? How do they see the vision and say, this is where we need to be in three years. This is how we need to continue to evolve. How, how, if, is there any advice you can give to that business owners out there? They're doing great, but they haven't brought in a new product in five years. It's hard. Uh, that kind of change is hard. And it's interesting. It's a really interesting question because this year, 2023 for us, has been a year of significant change, looking ahead, uh, doing exactly what you're talking about. So 
probably the hardest thing for me this year would is just to really um, separate yourself from the business, look at it from a third person view, because you have to get that emotion out of your mind to really be uh, take an objective look at what you're doing. And so we've done a lot of that this year, and some of it was hard. It's cutting the cords on some of the things you're doing can be tough. But once you realize the reasons why you should, it becomes a lot easier. And then once you make that decision and you see it work, then when you have to work on those things because you still have some of them out there, it's infuriating because you know what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've gone through a lot of that this year. You know, uh, when you talk about cutting the cord on maybe a product that we're going to move in a different direction, is that all metrics driven where you look at it and you say, hey, you know, our margins aren't good. We're not making much money. Is it gut? Is it feel for, a, you know, where your vision is going in the future? What helps you to make that decision to say, we need to move away from that and into this? A little bit of everything that you just mentioned. So certainly there's measurables and, hey, we, we seem to go over hours every time we do this type of project. Um, you know, so you have some measurables like that, but then you, you got to trust your gut on those things, too, if you see people struggling with it. And I'm thinking of an example of a product that was a good product. It was really cool stuff, um, you know, AV stuff and TVs and sound systems. So everybody liked working on it and the customers liked it. But it was just a, a challenge every time to get through it. And we couldn't get through it. Uh, every situation was unique. So it was custom every time. So it's hard to make money that way. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be efficient that way. And so it was something we liked and something that was good and something our customers liked, but it just wasn't good business for us. Yeah. You also mentioned leadership being a strength of what you've been able to do with your company. I mean, I don't know of a company that's grown like your ha yours has without strong leadership. Um, in that vein, what are the areas specifically in leadership that you feel like this is where I'm very strong and this is where I lean on from a leader, a leadership perspective? Um, it, my strategic vision, I think, is my biggest strength. I'm always working on all the all the skills and attributes of leadership. You know, I changed my attitude a few years back where um, I realized that this is a lifelong learning um, event when, mm -hmm. with leadership. And so really kind of put my ego to the side and I'm, I'm open. I'm looking to improve at all facets of leadership. That was a big deal to to get that mindset. Um, so let me back up. I'm going to interrupt you. Because you said I had to put my ego aside. Not easy for anybody to do, right? Much less an owner of a successful company. Hey, we're taking a little break in the show to make sure you know about Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland. Not many banks have been around for 139 years, but Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland has. And why? Because they offer full-service business banking, and you'll always speak to a live human being when you give them a call at Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland. They're commercial lenders. They are more than happy to share their expertise and to help you navigate any business financing that you may need, including SBA, TIF, or NEDCO financing. So go to fmnb.com. Right below me, you're going to see that website or give them a call at 402 944 3316. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. What were you not doing well at that point that you said, I've got to get stronger in this area of leadership? Um, not making decisions fast enough. And I think it's important to think things through, but there comes a time to pull the trigger, and I'm, I'm still working on accelerating my decision making. Because uh, and, and, you can't always get all the info 
to have a, a exactly clear answer. So you have to get whatever info you can and then make a decision. Yeah. And so I'm trying to speed that up. Yeah. What was it? Fear? Was it fear of failure? Was it you, you felt like you just had to have more data? What was holding you back to where you weren't moving as quickly as you wanted to? Yeah, I think fear of the unknown was part of it. Um, and that's that's a human trait. And that's uh, something that I struggle with with leadership, right? Like, I don't know how that's going to turn out. And I want to know before I make that decision. Well, that's just not how life works yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, if it did, boy, we'd have... 90 million successful business owners, right? Right. Uh, because you'd have the path and you know what the answer is going to be. Keith Ziegenbein, who owned KZ Co. for years, sold it. One of the things he said to me once is he said, you know, Tim, I don't overthink it. I, when, I, when I get ready and, and I have an idea in my head, I just act on it. And he said, many times, you know, I've made some mistakes and it hasn't worked. But a lot of times it has worked. Have you gotten to where you're that comfortable or are you still more process driven in making those decisions? Yeah, I, I have a ways to go to get to where <laughs> I want to go. Um, it's funny because I, I think back to last week and a decision that it, I'm kicking myself because I'm like, I should have made that decision days before I did it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm still looking to improve that. I am better on some things. And there's some things that now I make immediate decisions. But I, I get paralysis analysis uh, sometimes. Oh. So easy to do. Let's talk about the people part of leadership. I'm curious where, again, your strength when it comes to leading a team and leading people. And you know we're going to go the flip side of that. What, what did you ever look back on and say, I need to get better at? But let's start with the area of strength. What do you believe that every leader needs to have to be a strong leader of people? Um, they have to lead by example. And they have to lead from the front. Um, those are the most important things. You have to put yourself out there. Um, and show the world that, and show your team that, that you're going to take them in the right direction. Yeah. Um, just that simple of a concept, I think, is one of the most important concepts. And on the flip side, if there's a, whether it was 10 years ago, five years ago, and you said, I need to be stronger in this area when it comes to just people, anything that you were like, I, I need to work at in this area. And if so, what did you do to work at it? I think um, just being a little more transparent. Um, with people. Um, It's a way that my perspective on leadership has changed where um, I'm a human being, you know. Um, So being transparent, showing people, you know, who you are and getting more personal with things, you know, um, letting people know who I am outside of work life and those types of things. Why were you guarded about that? You know, I think it has to do with... um, It was a wild time when when getting this thing off the ground. Mm -hmm. And so... um, there was a lot of things coming at me from a lot of different directions. And so I think I kind of just closed the walls off a little bit um, internally uh, with some of the people. Because, you know, there was people there when I bought the company. And so that's always an interesting dynamic. And so I think that would be part of the reason that I just kind of uh, tried to keep things at arm's length mm-hmm. with my relationships uh, internal to the company. Now I have a team of people that you know, they're all people that I've hired. They're all people that are used to working with me. So I trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we come back to that trust word is probably, after some thought, the the impetus for that. Yeah. And so now I have people that I trust, and it's easy to be open and transparent with them. So why is that important as a leader, that they see those walls come down a little bit from their leader? What have you seen out of it? What do you get out of it that they, they can see you more on that human level? Um, I think it, it helps the relationship um, between people, and, and there's that trust word again, mm-hmm. right? 
um, as, as those things develop, then you have a better understanding of where each other's coming from. Um, you can be more productive. You can be more efficient and, and just know where each other's coming from. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you like to do as well is you like to fish. Indeed. And one of the things I think about when I, when I know people who love to fish and you fish a lot and you're good at it, <laughs> um, you get a lot of time to think about business, don't you? How important is it as a business owner to have that place where you can go? whether it's reading, whether it's fish, and you can just ruminate on business and think strategically about what needs to happen. Is that part of why you fish so much? Yeah, that's uh, just like I said about music before as part of the balance in my life. Fishing is part of the balance too, and that's for sure a place where you can clear your mind. And if you want to think about business, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But there's a lot of time on the boat. You're thinking about a situation or um, whatever it is about the business, and you don't have uh, all those distractions going on around you, so you can think clearly. Hopefully, the only distraction you get is a big fish that comes in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and fishing's been good, you say, uh, yeah. this, this summer, hasn't it? It has been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're going to come back to that at the end. But uh, I always like to use this show too to give these business owners, business leaders that are out there, uh, some opportunities to just kind of hear from folks who have been successful. One of the things that you've done is you you like to stay ahead of the curve. You've talked about that. You're in a technology company, and goodness knows what technology changes all the time. So how do you make sure you balance your time so that you can work on the everyday that needs to get done, but you can also take some time to look ahead and say, what are the products we need? What do you do to make sure that gets done? Um, you know, a little research um, in the evenings, um, just kind of seeing what's what's out there in publications and things like that. But really, it's more just paying attention as you're talking with people in the industry. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people have their ear to the ground. I have a lot of great relationships in the industry. So when something new's cropping up, um, I'll tend to hear about it. And then you can think on that and, or research it and find out what it is and, and decide what you want to do. Yeah, uh, because I, I think in your business, that's the challenge, right? Uh, the, the constant and ever-changing, not just the technology, but it's what people want it's it's what you know your customers want and maybe what they need and having to balance that as well not just the technology but also the needs of your of your customers yeah and probably one of the keys for us and it took a long time to get to the point we're at but choosing the right partners and the right manufacturers is is everything we had a lot of struggles early on now that we have the right partners and the right equipment um you know enterprise grade stuff good people to work with that's been a huge difference. Yeah. And that's something else I want to explore a little bit with you because obviously you've got to have those partners and they have to be fantastic because you're going to take their product out to the, to, you know, to your customer base. They've got to work. They've got to be dependable and reliable. So again, for those business owners and leaders that are out there in that kind of a realm where they have to pick vendors, trusted vendors, walk me through the process of what that's like for you. You know, it's, there's always uh, an unknown in it. Um, what we try to do is just pay attention, focus on relationships, focus on actions, you know, not just what people say, but what they do. Um, and then, you know, you have to really decide there's the product, there's the company, the manufacturer, and then there's the people that you're working with. So you have to take all those things together mm-hmm. and really pay attention um, and decide if, if that's the direction you want to go. It's a long-term commitment uh, at the end of the day. So um, most of the time, those things work out pretty well. Yeah. Um, most of the time, those things, um, uh, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be situations. But 
as long as everyone's coming to the table and being honest with each other, those things tend to work out. And is there anything that you found that has increased your likelihood of success with your vendors? Any kind of process you go through, any kind of vetting that you do, is there anything you find that, hey, we're going to be successful when this happens? We call it ABQ, uh, always be qualifying. So we ask questions um, to qualify, and we do this with almost everything, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to qualify our vendors. We want to qualify our partners. We want to qualify our customers. We want to make sure we know what the business situation is. Uh, So we talk about that a lot. What is the business situation? How did you qualify what's going on? Okay, now give us the lay of the land. Tell us what's going on, that type of thing. Yeah. Well, I tell you, there are um, so many things that, 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 that folks can learn from what you've done. And this is, I always like to say it's a true American success story. Because when you started, you've got about 25-ish employees now. When you started, how big was it? Four or five yeah. people. So do you ever pinch yourself? I asked that of another business owner once. Do you ever pinch yourself when you look back on it and say, my goodness, I've lived the American dream. I bought a business with four people. Here we are today. You've got a lifestyle that's wonderful, but really you've got the freedom, right? And and the ability to do what you want to do from a standpoint of how you run your business, how you live your life. Do you ever pinch yourself and look back and say, this is how good I've got it? No. <laughs> no. Why is that? Um, Too busy in it, in it today? Yeah, I, I still work pretty hard at it, and my mind's uh, on the next thing all the time. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't look back too much. I, I tend to look forward. Um, when I do reminisce, it's kind of like, wow, this, this has been a crazy ride. But um, um, I like to tell people I didn't build it from the ground up, but I had to dig it out from under the dirt and then build it up because it was in trouble when I showed up on the scene. So. What did you do to, to start digging it up? But What's one of the first strategies you have to say, all right, we got to dig this thing up. It's in the dirt. What do we do? Sell. Get out and sell. Get out and talk to people and light the fuse. Make something happen. Um, find out what your customers need, how you can help them. That was, that was the, the strategy going in. And the other thing I had to do, um, I had to fire a couple clients. Um, and it's weird because I knew these clients well and I got along with them well, but they got some new management and the way they were treating my company wasn't going to work. So very early on, um, the, the customer that I thought was going to make this easy for me made it very hard. And I had to walk away and quit taking their calls. That was hard to do. And I picked up the phone and started calling around town saying, hey, do you need a phone system? Um, that was one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make. It was one of the most important and critical ones as mm-hmm. well. And that is something that so many business owners go through, that they don't know when to step away from that client. But what were some of the things that you were seeing that said, this is why we got to make this break? Uh, I understand there's some revenue coming in, but this is why we have to, you know, to make this break. What were some things you were seeing? Uh, unreasonable expectations. Um you know, there was one conversation where they didn't think they should pay for repairs on a 10-year-old phone system. It's like, okay, this this isn't going in a good direction, folks. Um, it wasn't a, a, you know, even your customers should be a partnership, right? Uh, and that was not a two-way street um, with that. And, of course, it was a giant corporate entity. So that, that kind of comes with the territory sometimes. With some of them, they're not all that way. Um, but, yeah, just it wasn't a two-way street. It wasn't a good partnership. I don't think they appreciated us is yeah. what it came down to. And so that was a that was an important decision. 
Yeah, you love those clients, I've got to imagine, that don't treat you as, as a transactional partner who truly looks at you as a, as a partner who can help them, you know, obviously accomplish things. And when you get those, I imagine you just want to hold on to them with, with dear life, right? Yeah. Because they, uh, they get it. They get how you can help them. It's not just a transactional relationship. Yeah, they see the value that, that we provide. Um, and those kind of customers and people are fun to work with, you know, if they appreciate you and you appreciate them. And it makes you just want to take even better care of them as you go, go forward. 100%. Well, listen, I've learned a ton from you today. But before we go, we do a little three and out. Um, three kind of random, crazy questions. So you ready for this? Buckle yeah. in now. Let's All do right, it. Here we go. First of all, let's start. Let's go back to fishing. Uh, you love to fish. I want to hear your best fishing tale. Give me something you can tell me mm-hmm. about fishing. Mm. Story that you're going to tell you know your buddies every time you see them every 20 years. Okay, I got a good one. Yeah. Uh, so this was about 10 years ago, decade ago. Um, I hadn't gone fishing for a long time, and I knew I loved it. And I thought, why am I, why am I not doing that? I love it. Uh, and I, like from the time I'd bought my business, the first uh, uh, eight years, I don't think I fished. I was working all the time. Right. So I called my mom and I said, Hey, I'm I'm booking a trip to Florida and I'm going fishing. And if you guys want to go, you, you and Dad want to go, then then let's go. So they came along, and um, we went out on the Atlantic. And hooked into a, a eight foot silky shark, and uh, it was a mess. It wasn't the right gear for what uh, what had bit on the line. So I fought this thing for probably I don't know half an hour, forty minutes. I got him to the boat twice. And did you know it was a shark at this point? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, they saw him before he even bit it. They were trying to get the bait out of the water because they didn't want him to bite this twenty pound mono line. So I'm fighting this three hundred pound shark with you know stuff that I would use in Nebraska. I got him to the boat twice, and um, when we got on the boat, they had a new first mate. And the captain was showing him his new gaff hook. He had this huge gaff hook with a big rope. It's tied to the boat. And he just made it. And they also had their little old one with a leather strap um, that would go around his arm. So I'm fighting this shark, and the captain says to the first mate, try out my new gaff. It's, It's ready to go. It's right there. And this guy says, no, I got it. And he grabbed the one with the the wrist strap. He put it in the shark's tail, and the shark took off. And he's lucky it broke because he would have he would have pulled him underwater. And so he didn't listen to the captain. Then he uh, took the pole from me, which don't ever give up your pole if you have a big fish on the line. He took the pole and goes, let me show you what to do. And he snapped the line and broke the fish off. So You talk about bait. He would have been a nice piece of bait for that 300-pound shirt. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it didn't have a great ending, but it's a pretty funny story. And, oh. um yeah, we still talk about that one. I love it. Uh, every and you know, I thought for sure it was going to be you caught you know some six hundred pound catfish or something. <laughs> but this is, uh, all right, let's talk about midnight special. I hear you're going to be doing some vocals now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell me the, the number one, the best song to sing vocally for you. Give me. Mm. I, I want to hear this. I want to hear your range. Um, Boy, that's a tough one, and there there definitely is a kind of a range that I fit in. I can't sing everything. Um, can't you see? Um, it's probably a, a strength of mine. Tell me who sings that. <sighs> I don't remember. Yeah. So give me another one. Can't you see? Uh, what's the hardest? By the way, what's the hardest song for you? Mm. 
you know, I haven't sung a lot up to this point in the band. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start doing some harmonies and things like that. I'm going to try it. I, we'll see how it goes, if, <laughs> if the guys like it or not. But uh, So I haven't done a lot of singing in the group, in this group so far. Why is that? Um, you know, I just wanted to focus on playing the drums. It's it's a little easier to play without singing, and I was just having fun. And yeah. now the guys are like, "Hey, we need we need some help on the harmonies here." So, by the way, I've seen you playing the drums on some video over at uh, Luke and Lacey Carl's house. And but is there anyone funnier than Lacey Carl? I don't think so. I mean, I she so. needs her own show, doesn't she? You should have her on this. <laughs> I know, I know. I, trust me, that that is a good idea. Turn it into a comedy sketch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, we got one more for you. Uh, you know, you, you talked about. Um, obviously all of your loves that you, you know that you've got you've got your music and you've got um, you've got your fishing is there anything that beats uh, going out and I know you have to be from Nebraska to appreciate this but driving out here farm kid seeing as the sun sets out in western Nebraska out in a farm field is there anything that beats that view I don't think so yeah tell special. me tell me about that tell me growing up did I mean was that something you appreciated yeah it was um you know, good a uh, good country sunset is tough to beat. It reminds me of um, when I was, I think, a senior in high school. They built a cell tower on the land adjacent to us, and it ruined. It was on to the west, so it ruined my sunset. So I wasn't. I'm still not happy about that cell tower. <laughs> it's still there today, too. But well, I'll tell you what. You have got to be happy with uh, what you've done and your team has done with Americom. What a great story. Well, what a pleasure talking to you. It's been great. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to do it again. And I can't wait to watch the Midnight Special play somewhere. Yeah, we'll let you know when we got one Got one booked. A Huda Media Production.